As we go through this series, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have seen that that word gospel means good news. We all like good news. Just as John received some good news this week, we, we like to hear good news. And that's what gospel means. But as we saw last week, before we will ever appreciate good news, we must understand why it is good news, and what the bad news is. And we looked at the scriptures, and I hope we saw clearly what the scriptures say. The bad news is is that our sins have separated us from a holy God. And uh, our condition is serious. It is very serious. And the Bible gives us a divine diagnosis, if you will, of our sinful condition. I want to follow up on that thought from last week by beginning by looking at this, the importance of a proper diagnosis and a remedy. It's very important for a doctor to get the right diagnosis in order to have the right kind of remedy. I was speaking with a friend this week, and he told me of his niece who uh, had suddenly been putting on weight at a very rapid pace, went to the doctor, and he said, well, I'm going to put you on this very strict diet, which he did. And she came back sometime later, and she was continuing to put on this weight, and he was kind of chastising her. She must not be keeping her diet, not doing the things that she's supposed to do, only to find out that she had within her an 18-pound tumor. Hard to imagine. But we see that a diet's not going to fix that tumor. It was an improper, at least at that point, it was, it was an incorrect uh, diagnosis. And so it is spiritually. We need to have a proper diagnosis in order to get the right remedy. And I want to read this quote. This is from J.C. Ryle. He's written a number of books, an older venerated saint, and one of his best books is called Holiness that I would recommend. But he said this, there are very few errors and false doctrines of which the beginning may not be traced up to unsound views about the corruption of human nature. Wrong views of a disease will always bring with them wrong views of a remedy. Wrong views of the corruption of human nature will always carry with them wrong views of the grand antidote and cure of that corruption. And so wrong views of a disease will lead to wrong views of the antidote or the remedy. And so it is with salvation that we don't just have a minor problem that needs a little tweaking. And I hope we saw this last week. The gospel is not a formula to help us to come up with some home remedy for ourselves to fix our sin problem. The gospel is not like a divine power drink that we drink that helps us to work with God to fix our problem. The gospel is not good news that Jesus is a life coach to come alongside of you and to help you have a better life. That's not what the gospel is. We saw last week the diagnosis of the word of God is twofold. 
We have a bad record in heaven, and we have a bad heart. And so we see, according to the scriptures, that this is a a serious diagnosis that is given to us from the word of God. That from the top of our head, as Isaiah says, to the bottom of our feet, there is no soundness in us, but putrefying soul sores. All of our faculties have been affected by the fall and by sin. Our affections, we, we, we do not love the things that we ought to love. We are to love God with all of our heart and soul and strength and our neighbor is ourself. But we're selfish and we love ourselves. Our mind, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Paul tells us in Romans 1. Our heart is desperately wicked. And all of this affects the things that we choose. Our will also is in bondage to sin. And as we saw last week, we cannot fix our sin problem. We're like Humpty Dumpty, who sat on a wall and had what? A great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty back together again. And this is what the Bible says about us, that we have all sinned. And we have come short of the glory of God. That's what sin is. It's to miss the mark. And we cannot fix the sin problem that we have. And the Bible presents to us the gospel, which is the only effective remedy for this desperate state that we find ourselves in. And it is good news, and it is nothing short of a supernatural intervention of God himself to save men and women in their sins. And today we want to consider the personal nature of this gospel remedy. This good news is all wrapped up in a person. Notice here, as Mark is beginning his gospel, how he begins. The beginning of the gospel, notice, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This gospel is about a person. Central to the gospel is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is not a remedy that comes in some sort of legislation or an act of Congress or something like that, some government bailout. It's not some remedy that, uh, again, we come up with, but this remedy is in a person. It is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We begin this series in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says there, what I received is what I have passed on to you. Again, I'm uh, I'm just like a waiter bringing the food from the kitchen. I've received this from the Lord, that Christ died for our sins. There's our problem. It's sin. And here's the remedy. It's Christ, that Christ has died for our sin. And so we want to consider today, and our focus is upon this this person, this personal nature of this salvation. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the gospel, it is important for us to understand these two things of the person of Christ, who he is, and the work of Christ. The person of Christ and the work of Christ. And in the weeks ahead, we'll be looking at the work of Christ. But today, we want to look at 
again, the personal nature of this remedy, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is. I've entitled this series, The Gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what Mark says here. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Timothy. This is a favorite verse of mine, and I mention it often. Paul was overwhelmed at the, the grace of God that he himself had received. And Paul, as he's writing, he, he is saying in verse 15, What I'm sharing with you is a faithful statement, and it's worthy of all acceptance. Paul, in the Greek, pushes that up to the front. Worthy of all acceptance is this message that I have. And very simply, what he says here is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I am the chief of sinners. The word Christ is, is not the last name of Jesus. Christ is a title. It's a like president. It is a word that comes out of the Old Testament, the anointed one. He is the Messiah that had been promised for many, many centuries. And he is the anointed one in the New Testament. It is translated as Messiah. The Christ is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. And this word Christ is a, it's a word that is heavy laden with meaning. As, it, as we come out of the Old Testament, all of these things that have been told for centuries about one who is coming, a deliverer, this one who is coming is going to be a deliverer. He is the promised Messiah. And what we find in the Old Testament from Genesis 3.15 and following is all of these prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. Last Sunday night I spoke about the one who is coming, the first promise, Genesis 3.15, is the one who will crush the head of the serpent. And we spoke about that last Sunday night, about the serpent crusher. And he had been promised. Interestingly enough, while I was preaching on that, we heard something in the foyer, some kind of thumping. And in 42 years that I've been at Bible Chapel, we've never had a snake in the church that I knew of. But as I was preaching on the serpent crusher, there was a snake that got into the foyer, and Brian was at the sound table, went in, and he was crushing the head of the serpent, quite literally. But I thought that was kind of interesting anyway. But here's the first promise of a serpent crusher, and he will overturn the works of the evil one. He is the one who will be the remedy for all of our all that ails us as fallen sons of Adam sin. And so here's this ex- expectation of a unique person. He will be this promised one. He will be the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. But he is a person. A person will come. Here he is referred to not only as Christ, but he is Jesus. This is the name that is given to him as we think about his humanity. He was a man just like us. And he was given this name that has significance. Mary and Joseph didn't go to Barnes and Noble and get a book about baby names and what they name what they will name their baby. No. 
this baby that would be born by Mary was going to have the name that God gave to him, and Joseph was to name him Jesus, name him Jesus, which is the idea that Jehovah saves because he will save his people from their sins. So he's the Christ, he is Jesus, he is the one born to Mary, a personal name. But notice what it says here in verse 15. It's an amazing statement. This gospel is about Christ Jesus who came into the world. He came into the world. What does that suggest to us but that he had a pre-existence? He came into this world. That's a strange statement. We, I don't think we would say something like, well, I came into the world to be a pastor. That's why I came into the world. No, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to say that. But here it says that he came into the world implying that he had a previous existence and he voluntarily, purposely, came into this world. And so, of course, that begs the question, who is this one who has come into the world? Well, Mark tells us he's the very son of God. So he's Jesus that's born and laid in a manger, but wrapped up in swaddling clothes in this baby as one who is also divine. The second person of the Godhead who came into our world. He himself purposely doing this. The second person came into our world and took upon himself our likeness. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word, what? Was God. And John says, and the word was made flesh and dwelled among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace And true. That baby that Mary was holding was unlike any other baby. It was the God man, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one who is central to the gospel message. It is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the only place that we have this reference of him coming into this world. We read in John 6, Jesus' own words. He said that Moses gave you manna that came down from heaven, but really it was God that gave them that manna. But he said, I am the true bread of life that comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. What a statement is that? I came into this world as this bread, the, the true manna, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live eternally. But I came down from heaven and I came into this world. I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. That's why I came into this world and to give my life as a ransom for many. John 17, 5. Jesus, as he's going to the cross, prays this prayer. And now, O Father, glorify me with the glory which I had with you before the world began. (laughs) What an amazing statement. Restore to me, return to me this glory that I had. Glorify me with this glory which I had with you before the world even ever began. 
And the disciples slowly begin to understand this, who this is. And when Jesus says to Peter one day, who do you say that I am? People are saying all these things about me, but Peter, who do you say that I am? And you remember Peter and Matthew 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you remember Thomas. He would not believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Everybody was telling that after the, res- uh, after the cross and Calvary and everything that had happened. And you remember Thomas says, I'm, I won't believe until I see him myself and I'm able to touch him. Put my fingers in those nail prints in his hand. Jesus appears to Thomas. Thomas doesn't have to touch him. He falls before him and he says, my Lord And my God. Paul tells us that we are looking for the coming of the the blessed return of the the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And he is indeed God in the flesh. And so I want to read just again a portion of what we read in that creed. For this is the true faith that we believe and confess, that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and man. He is God, begotten before all worlds from being of the Father, from the being of the Father, and He is man, born in the world from the being of His mother, existing fully as God and fully as man, with a rational soul and a human body equal to the Father in divinity, subordinate to the Father in humanity. Or we might just put it this way simply. I know that language is heavy, a lot of that, hard for some of our little minds to grasp, mine included. But here is what Wesley said in the hymn we often sing at Christmas. Hark the herald angels sing, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate, Deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. He is undiminished deity, undiminished humanity, joined forever in one person. This is the one who came into the world, the very Son of God. I think it's important for us today just to stop and maybe think about this wonderful truth that this one, the Son of God, came into our world. You know the saying that familiarity can breed contempt, and most of us maybe here have grown up in church, and we've heard the gospel message, and we've heard about who Christ is all of our life, but we can lose the wonder of this gospel truth that the Son of God came into our world, took upon himself our likeness. And why? Because this is the remedy for our great problem, our great sin problem. Jesus came in order to save sinners. And that's why he said as we began this series that this gospel is otherworldly. It's otherworldly. It's, it's about God's intervention in the sending of his own son. He sent his own son into the world. 
Herein is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and he has sent his own son to be the propitiation for our sins. The father sent his beloved, the the greatest treasure that he could ever send, his own dear beloved son, sent him into this world. And Paul tells us in Romans 8, for us he spared not his own son. He didn't spare him. We had a great need, but he didn't spare his own son. And Christ did this willingly. He had a covenant with his father. that all that the father had given him, he would come and he would lay down his life for them. And he came willingly. He came as the willing servant voluntarily. We read about this here in Philippians 2. As Paul's addressing needs in the church, that you need to think of other people as more important than yourself. He presents Christ as the great illustration, example, model for us. Though he existed in the very form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with him, but he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He condescended to come into this world and to lay down his life upon the cross. This is what Christ has done for us. And what we see about this gospel, it is divinely, it's divinely initiated. It is God himself that is stooping to come into this world through the person of his son and to provide the only remedy for us. It is a divine rescue. We all love rescue stories and redemption stories. Well, this is the great the great redemption story, salvation story, rescue story. It is that of the gospel. May we not lose sight of the glory and the majesty and the wonder, mystery of this truth. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Thirdly, this morning, I want to speak about the effectiveness of the gospel remedy. Sometimes a doctor's remedy or his uh, antibiotic or whatever he gives us is maybe not effective. And maybe it's a lack of knowledge he just doesn't know. Or maybe there is not the means by which he can offer anything when we are sick. He says, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do. Sometimes we, we can hear that from a doctor. I'm sorry, we, we've done all the tests, but there's nothing that I know of to help you. As we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, he's effective to provide the remedy, to provide the need that we have. I love these words from Isaiah 53, where it says concerning the Messiah that is to come, that it is by his knowledge that my righteous servant shall justify many. It's by his knowledge. He knows what we need. He knows what to do about our problem and how to justify guilty sinners. His knowledge is not limited like a doctor so often is. He's not lacking in power. 
but he has come to do what is necessary, it says, to justify sinners. Justify them, to bring them from a state of condemnation where they're under the wrath of God and judgment of God to a state where they are justified by him and they stand approved and accepted before him. And he has the knowledge to carry this out, to fulfill this. Jesus came into the world, Paul says, to save sinners, to actually save sinners. Joseph, I want you to name that baby Jesus because he will, he will save his people from their sins. John 6, some amazing words. Jesus said, The Father has given to me a people, and I've come, and I've come to do the will of my Father, and all that he's given to me, that I'm not going to lose a one of them, but I'm going to raise them up in the last day. I love those verses. This Jesus, whom we serve, he will carry out the will of his Father. He will save those entrusted to him by his Father, And he will give unto them eternal life. He says that in John 17 too. Father, all you have given me, they're going to come to me. And then he says, you've given me authority over all men so that I might give unto those that you've given to me that might give unto them eternal life. And so what we see is that this this is not a joint rescue mission between us and Jesus. This is what Jesus is going to do. He is going to accomplish this. And he will do this in his work. He has the knowledge to do what is necessary. And we don't meet Jesus halfway. It's not 50% Jesus and 50% us. He is the one who rescues. He is the one who saves. And here is a Savior who meets every, every need that guilty sinners have. And he is sufficient. He is the all-sufficient Savior. As I've said before, and I got this from somebody else, the only thing that we bring to the table with regard to salvation is is the sin that makes it necessary. We don't bring something to the table in this aspect of salvation, of our own contribution. Christ is the one that rescues Christ is the all-sufficient Savior. He has done everything necessary so that we can be saved from guilt and condemnation, sin's power, and the presence of sin. We'll talk about what he's done in in future weeks, but I want us to see that he is the all-sufficient Savior. Paul says that by his doing we are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, and redemption, and sanctification. He's become these things to us. Paul says in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. You know, we talk about a full-service station. He is a full-service Savior. Everything that we could possibly need as guilty sinners comes to us through Christ. 
And therefore, it is the confession of God's people, followers of Christ, of what Paul said in Philippians 3.3. And I pray this is all of our testimony here today, that we glory in Christ and we put no confidence in our flesh. That's, that's our testimony. All glory to Christ. All our boasting is in Christ. And I'm not putting any confidence in anything that I have done, anything that I have accomplished. It is all of Christ. And we cling to him by faith. Faith alone. This hymn we often sing, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me hide myself in thee. Other refuge have I none, hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, ah, leave me not alone, still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed, all my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head with the shadow of thy wing. My whole soul hangs on him, trusting in him. As we think of this good news, it is good news that is wrapped up in a person. And his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I hope we get the idea that this is a very important person. V-I-P. Last weekend, we had uh, our friend Andre and his family with us. Andre that I had met in Romania. He is now a pastor in California. He's got four beautiful daughters, and they were with us. And we were talking about their wedding. And when they were getting married in California, his family in Romania were unable to get visas. They would not issue them to them. And his wife-to-be happened to belonged to a family that was quite influential in Fresno area and involved in politics. And one of her uncles got on the phone with Condoleezza Rice, made a phone call, and before you know it, they had their visas. And they were at the wedding by the end of the week. VIP, somebody very important that was very helpful to them. But here is the most important person of the Bible, of the gospel, and all of history. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what we learn also is that this gift, this, this salvation, this gospel is a free gift. Again, it's nothing that we bring to the table. It is a free gift. There's only one name under heaven whereby we can be saved, and it's in Christ. And Paul says to a Philippian jailer, as he asked him, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You, you put your trust in this Jesus. You turn from your sin, and you put your trust in him. It's a free gift. I've heard just in the last couple of weeks of some people that have gone to the pharmacy for some very needed medication, and there was sticker shock. 
$2,500 for this medicine, this bottle of medicine. Sorry, I can't afford that. There is no sticker shock with this remedy. It is a free gift. Come unto me, Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he gives this promise to everyone that comes to me, no matter how sinful and how wicked, no matter what you've done, everyone that comes to me, I will not turn them away. I will receive them. Come unto me, Jesus says. If you're here today without Christ, run to Jesus. He's the only remedy for our sin problem. Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon this person, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you will be saved. And it is a free gift given to us. Isaiah 51.1, following the servant's songs about Jesus who's to come. Isaiah says this, God says this, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come to Jesus, turn from your sins, and trust in him alone. And he will give you forgiveness of your sins. He will give unto you eternal life. As we close this morning, we want to just, I just want to mention the splendor of this gospel remedy. In Philippians 2, Paul tells us as he comes to the end of that great passage, that God the Father has given to a son a name that is above every other name. It's above every other name. There is no one like him. Isaiah 9 speaks about him. His name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor and Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What a glorious name. The name of Jesus Christ, the Savior and the Friend of Sinners. To those who believe He is precious. He is precious. I remember in the sixth grade, after basketball practice, we all gathered at Ely's Grocery in the middle of Westchester, right on Main Street. And we were being picked up by parents there, and we got something to drink. And I remember one of my fellow players on the team, his father came to pick him up. And for the first time in my life, I heard the name of Jesus Christ spoken in a way that I'd never heard it before. It was a name that was always honored in our church and in my family. And I knew the way he was using the name of Jesus Christ was not in a good way. He was really blaspheming the name of Christ. This is a name. It is above every other name that is to be revered. May we hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior and the friend of sinners. May we honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how sweet 
How sweet the name of Jesus, Jesus' name sounds in the believer's ear. We're going to close by singing that. I invite you to take your hymn book and turn to number.